Lord, we thank you for the precious Bible, your holy book that was revealed over the years to over 40 human authors, and yet is consistent and congruent, no variance or discrepancy, no contradiction, because it is your book. We come to this time in the service to look into your book, but more importantly, to let your book look into us. We pray, Lord, that we would see that to which you call us. To the end, Lord, that we would, in dependence upon the Holy Spirit, aspire to all that you have for us in Christ. Lord, hide your servant that you would magnify yourself. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name together. Amen. As you may know, I'm in a series, this will be the last message in a series, what I promise you as your new pastor. And I know that one of the temptations might be for you to sit back and say, well, that's very nice for you, pastor. We're glad you're making these promises. But uh, we're spectators here. We'll just uh, pray for you occasionally, and uh, good for you to make these promises. I just want to remind us that if we're born again, if we've been saved, uh, if we're redeemed, then we are a priesthood. We are a priest. It says in First Peter 2, verse 9, the following, but you, writing to believers, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God, and you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So church, may I remind us that we are a chosen race, that we are a royal priesthood. You are a priest of God if you're saved, male or a female priest, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. May we remember that as these promises are being shared and reviewed that these are promises really that every Christian should be willing to make before God and with each other in community. Let me review very quickly what we've seen already by way of promises that I feel led to make to God first and to you second. Number one, I will shepherd you without hypocrisy. Number two, I will guide you with biblical principles, well interpreted and well applied. Number three, I will work hard. Number four, I will be globally minded. Number five, I will personally and publicly evangelize without embarrassment and without fearing rejection. Six, I will preach and teach correct doctrine, whether it's popular or not. Seven, I will carefully monitor my own life and my own beliefs. Eight, I will work to multiply myself. Nine, I will expect hardships and I will push through them. Ten, I will follow orders from my commander. 11, I will not call you to a standard of holiness which I personally skip. 12, I will lead you by serving you. 13, I will strive to be gentle and humble in times of correcting you. 14, I will work in concert with the other church pastors. 15, I will preach the word, teaching, reproving, correcting, and training in righteousness. Number 16, I will be accountable to other men. 
And now, moving on to some promises I have not shared until right now. Number 17, I will seek to resolve any charge against me. So turn with me to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus are called the pastoral epistles because they were inspired of God to be written to actual pastors, uh, Timothy being one. And in 1st Timothy chapter 3, we begin to see a list that God the Holy Spirit gave and gives for biblical, biblical qualification for pastors in any local church. And we're going to see several things rapid fire in these uh, dense and rich verses to do with biblical qualification for elders and pastors. So 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, uncontentious, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he may not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Let me loop back to verse 2. The first promise for this evening is I will seek to resolve any charge against me. That's what it means to be above reproach in verse 2. Not that you never have a charge brought against you. Some charges are false. Uh, fallacious charges, but that you can resolve any charge that comes against you in a God-honoring way. I will seek to do that if any charge would come against me. Number 18 promise, I will work on my marriage and see it as being lifelong. Still in verse 2, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. Even as Christ is the husband of one bride, the church, his pastors ought to be, must be, the husband of one wife. Marriage is lifelong. What uh, releases a person in the will of God to marry a second time is the death of that person's spouse. I will work on my marriage and see it as being lifelong. Promise 19, I will not be given to extremes. Still in verse 2, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate. To be temperate is to be not given to extremes, not to blow hot one day and blow cold the other day, not to believe in one doctrine one day and then an opposite idea the next day, but to be measured, to be measured, to be steady in the word of God, to be steady, anchored, in the word of God. And so I will seek not to be given to extremes, to be temperate. Next, I will promise 20, measure my words and my actions. I will promise to seek to measure my words 
and my actions. Still in verse 2, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. The prudent pastor, the prudent servant of the Lord is the one who has measurement, constraint, control, curbing to his words and to his actions. This is the opposite of being reckless. This is the opposite of being careless. This is the opposite of being arrogant. This is the opposite of being, don't have any say in my life, I'm a leader. I will seek before God and before you to measure my words and my actions, to be prudent. Promise 21. I promise that I will conduct myself in such a way that I respect and bring respect to my Lord and Savior, to conduct myself in a way that I will respect and bring respect to my wife and children, that I will conduct myself in such a way that I will bring res- that I will respect rather and bring, res- bring respect to you, my church family. See, I realize that I constantly represent Jesus Christ. Wherever I go, whatever I do, whatever I say, I constantly represent the Lord Jesus. But I'm also mindful as the servant leader of my home that whatever I do or say, wherever I go, I take my wife and my children with me, whether they are with me physically or not. And I also understand that you've given me the privilege of being your pastor. And so wherever I go, I take all of you with me. Wherever I, whatever I approve, I'm bringing you along with me to approve it. Whatever I say no to, I am bringing you along to say no to as well. I need to respect the Lord. I need to respect my wife and children. And I need to respect you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I promise you that I will. Still in verse 2, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable. I will seek to respect all the ones I have named and bring respect to each of the ones I have named. Promise 22, we will invite people into our home to show them the love of Jesus. The parsonage is beautiful. I hope to show it to you. The parsonage has been renovated completely. It's gorgeous, and we thank the Lord for the generosity of God's people to make that possible. We will invite people into our home to show them the love of Jesus. Verse 2, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, hospitable. Next promise, 23, I will not drink alcohol. Verse 3, the overseer is not addicted to wine. One way to never become an alcoholic is not to drink. And uh, I will not drink. Uh, I will abstain. When it's offered to me, I will abstain. I only want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit and not by... Alcohol. I've seen it ruin too many marriages. 
I've seen it ruin too many families. I've seen it cause too many fatalities on the highways. I've seen too much. And I'd encourage you tonight, if you're a believer who drinks in moderation, to second think that, to pray that through. Is that the advertisement you want your life to portray to your kids, to your grandkids? Because what parents and grandparents may approve in moderation, their children will approve in excess. Read the Old Testament. I will not drink alcohol. Promise 24. I will not win an argument to lose a person with a soul. Three, part B, not addicted to wine or pugnacious. To be pugnacious is to try to win an argument at all costs. I will not be that kind of a pastor. I will not win an argument and lose a person's soul. It is not worth it. Promise 25, I will not let money or what money can buy become idols to me. Still in verse 3, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, uncontentious, free from the love of money. Money, of course, is neutral. Money is neutral. It is not sinful in and of itself. But money, when it becomes an idol, is a, is a sin. When we aspire to have money more than we want Jesus, it's a sin. When money is the last thing we think about when we lay our heads on the pillow at night, it's an idol. When it's the first thing we think about when we rise in the morning, it is a problem, it is a sin. It's really not how much do we own. There are prosperous Christians, but rather it is how much do the things we have own us. I will seek not to let money or what money can buy, become an idol to me, to displace from Jesus Christ from the first and foremost place in my heart and its affections, in my energy and the expenditure of it. I do not want anything to displace Jesus Christ from his first place, including money. Promise 26, I will work to servant lead my wife and children, to be Christ-like, self-controlled, and respectable. I see this in verse 4. He, the overseer, must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. May I hasten to say that children here, is, uh, the Greek word is less than fully grown children. These are not adult children. Adult children, when they become adults, they move out of our homes. They marry if God has marriage in his will for them, and they form their own homes. And I am not responsible when our daughter marries, if she does, and our son marries, if he does, to govern their walk with the Lord. My time to help them establish a sound walk with the Lord is while they are under our roof. And a test for a pastor is that he manages his own household well, why those children, those less than fully grown children, are under his control uh, with all dignity. Dignity is what we aspire to as Christian parents, to bring our children to the place of living under the lordship of Christ such that they are dignified in what they speak, 
dignified in what they think, dignified in what they do, dignified by what they don't think, dignified by what they don't say, and dignified by what they don't do. I will work to serve and lead my wife and children to be Christ-like, self-controlled, and respectable. Promise 27, I will interact with the lost so as to bring honor to my Savior. Verse 7, and he, the overseer, must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he may not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. I plan to, I have already, I plan to have contact with lost people. I'm not going to live in an ivory tower. I want to be involved in lost people's life for Christ's sake, for the gospel's hearing. And I'm thrilled that God has already opened some doors for me to walk through to lost people without compromising my um, testimony for Christ. Pray for me on that. One of the most uh, easy things for a pastor to fall into is an insulated life where he's only around the people of God, as great as you all are. I need to also be around people who need Jesus as Savior because I can't call you to personally evangelize the lost if I am not doing it myself. This cannot be theory. This has to be practice. I need to model this for you. And by God's grace, I seek to do that. And so I seek to promise to interact with the lost so as to bring honor to the Savior. I am not going to walk across any bridge to a lost person that will cause me to compromise my testimony. I won't do it. But there's so many bridges I can walk across to most lost people that will not compromise the Lordship of Christ in my life. I mean, it's true for you, too. Can you think of lost people? What are they interested in? Sailing, swimming, shopping, raising family, cooking. We could go on and on and on. These are bridges over which you can walk to have a meaningful entrance into another person's life who needs Jesus as Savior. Find those bridges, walk across those bridges, earn a hearing, pray, love, do life together, and share the Lord without compromising the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. Promise 28, I will strive to be self-disciplined. For this, stay in 1 Timothy and go over to chapter 4, verse 7. 1 Timothy 4, 7, writing to a young pastor, Timothy, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. He's calling this young pastor to make the effort the be strenuous to discipline himself in spiritual matters, to have time in God's word, to have time in prayer, to be equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry, to be saying no to temptation, to be saying yes to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. And so I will seek to strive to be self-disciplined. Let me go on, verse 7 and 8. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. By the way, that's on television quite a bit. On the other hand, in contrast to that, discipline yourself. No one else is going to discipline you. Discipline yourself 
for the purpose of godliness. Do you want to be godly? Persons are only as godly as they want to be. Do you want to be godly? Good. Then discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Verse 8, for bodily discipline is only of little profit. It is of profit, but it's of little profit compared to spiritual discipline. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This is saying to us, whether we're a pastor or we're not a pastor, if we will discipline ourselves in spiritual disciplines, prayer, Bible study, journaling, witnessing, serving, fellowshipping, if we will discipline ourselves in spiritual things, it will have great profitability for this life, but also for the life to come. This life is a dress rehearsal for the life to come. Wouldn't it be great if what we have self-disciplined ourselves to have as our lifestyle here on a sinful planet could just usher us into the perfections of that lifestyle forever and ever and ever in glory? For bod- verse 8, for bodily discipline is only of a little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So I will strive, I promise, I will strive to try to be self-disciplined. 29, I promise that I will pray for you all. If you have prayer requests, please let me know. Email me pastor.rob.elliot at gmail.com. Give me all the consonants I can get in my last name. I love all the consonants I can get, two L's and two T's. pastor.rob.elliot at gmail.com. You have a prayer request? Email me. Have a prayer request. Phone me. Have a prayer request. Come and see me. I promise you I'll pray for you. I will pray for our church's ministries. I will pray for our missionaries, and I will pray for the Bahamas. Acts chapter 6. As the church exploded in conversion growth, which is my prayer for this church, by the way, that we will explode with conversion growth. I know God leads some believers from other evangelical churches to our church, and that's good. I welcome those people with gratitude to God. But the principal way that I'm trusting God to grow this church is through conversions. As the baby church in the book of Acts was exploding in growth, new converts to Christ, a problem arose. And the problem was that there were needs of a practical nature that should should have been done in Jesus' name, but they were taking the pastor elders away from other ministry priorities that they had. And so a whole layer or level of church leadership had to be created, the diaconoi, the deacons, the servants of the local church. And I just met briefly with our deacons this afternoon. And what, what a wonderful men they are. Hearts of gold. A desire to serve Christ and by serving people and by serving the community. It's just a great, great thing to be with those deacons this afternoon briefly. 
But listen to how the whole office of deacon was created as the baby church in the book of Acts was exploding with numerical growth through conversions. Starting at verse 1, Acts 6. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. That's a practical need. And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Did that mean that the serving of tables was inferior as an activity to the ministering of the word and prayer? No, it did not mean that, it just was different. It meant that the pastors, the leaders, spiritual leaders of the baby church that was burgeoning with conversion growth, knew that their highest priority, their commission from God, was to be men of intercessory prayer and men of the scriptures. Studying the scriptures so they could teach and preach the scriptures to the, to the burgeoning church. And so they recognized that this very valid need of feeding the Hellenistic Jews' widows was legitimate. But it wasn't what they were called to do first and foremost. It was a new responsibility, a social action ministry. And so they said, we need to do something about this. We don't neglect these widows, neither do we pour everything into serving these widows to the expense of the word of God and intercessory prayer. So they were led of the Lord to do something interesting. Verse 2. And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables, but select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What I seek to make as a promise to you is that I will devote myself to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So I will pray for you individually and collectively. I will pray for our church's ministries. I will pray for our missionaries. And I'll pray for the Bahamas. Now what that may mean is that when you come by to see me, uh, dropping in, or you phone me, and I'm on my knees praying that I may not be able to talk with you immediately. But that's why. It may mean that I'm blocking off time to study God's Word in an intensive way so that I could have spiritual food to give you on Sunday morning and Sunday night, and I may not be able to just drop that and say hi to you. It's not because I don't love you. It's because I have to prioritize at times to give myself adequate time to pray and to be in the scriptures to prepare to feed and lead the flock. And I need to be ready and carving out time to pray. I trust that you'll understand that. And if you phone me and if you come to see me and you have an emergency, of course, I will see you immediately. But I promise God and you that I'll pray. I'll be a praying pastor. Number 30, I promise I will love you because you are the good shepherd's sheep. In the last pastorate I had, there was an older gentleman that loved Jesus 
And in many ways, he was marginalized where he lived in his apartment complex for a number of reasons. And sometimes he was even marginalized within the body of believers of our church, which was wrong. But this marginalized gentleman loved the Lord, and he loved the church. And one day he brought me a pen and ink drawing, and it was of Jesus holding a sheep to his breast and looking at the sheep with such a tender look of love and care. And it was a precious reminder to me. I kept it in my office where I would see it as I stepped out of my office into an enclave that people couldn't see me in there when I was looking for illustrations for sermons out of sight. And I put it there on purpose because often when I would see it, I would cry. To be reminded of the worth of a Christian, the value of every believer that Jesus Christ as the good shepherd would hold an individual sheep to his breast and give that sheep undivided attention and care. And then if that didn't bring me to tears, the next thought often did, which was that I am one of those sheep too. I'm an under-shepherd to you, under the good shepherd to us. And so I am a sheep in Christ's fold as much as all of you are. But I will seek to love you as the good shepherd's sheep. The love I'll aspire to is agape love, the greatest love possible, God's kind of unconditional love. Agape love is sacrificing to meet the greatest need of the one loved without concern for the cost or the payback. That's agape love. And that's the kind of love I want to promise to have for each of you that I will know you well enough as you help me to know you well enough that I will know your greatest need. And then I will sacrifice to meet your greatest need without concern for the personal cost to me or without concern for you ever paying me back for loving you. First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians 2. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8 to begin with. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8. But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. I want to impart to you my life because you are very dear to me. I want to have a growing fond affection for each one of you as God's sheep. And then verses 10 to 12 of the same chapter, you are witnesses and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you as a father would his own children, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So in this one chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, there are two metaphors presented. The metaphor of a tender mother 
and the metaphor of an exhorting and encouraging father. And part of how I promise that I will love you is that I will seek with the Holy Spirit's enablement to have a tender, nurturing, mother-like love for you, and then when necessary, an imploring, encouraging, exhorting love for you as a father. Yes, I will promise to love you as God's sheep. Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Paul is in prison as he writes. Philippians 1, 3 through 8. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. I have you in my heart. I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I have marked this passage with the color green because three times green is given to say you all. Verse 4, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Skipping down to verse 7, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you all. Then verse 8, for God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul looked at the church at Philippi as a collection of individuals who he loved. There was no segment or part of the church at Philippi that weren't in his heart. He was unbiased. He didn't show favoritism. He loved all who made up the church at Philippi equally. That's the kind of love I promise you as your pastor. And the last promise, even as I promise I will love you, I promise that I will let you love me. I promise that I'll let you love me. Because I need that. We all need love. I'm going to let you love me. Philippians 2, 17 and 18. But even... If I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And you too, I urge and rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Philippians is a book that celebrates fellowship. And fellowship is not guava duff. Fellowship is, it can include that, but it's not limited to fine food and beverages. Fellowship is sharing life, sharing the down times and tears, sharing the joy and the celebrations, sharing the confusion and the answers, sharing life. Paul understood that the Philippian believers shared in his life, and he 
shared in their lives, and he celebrated that. He accepted their love, the financial gift they gave him that was desperately needed. He received it. He let the Philippians love him. Unwise is the pastor who comes across like he's got it all together, that I really don't need anything. I'm a needy person. I live in a fallen world. I battle the flesh just like you. I'm going to let you love me, and you've started in a royal way loving me and my family. Thank you so much. Still in Philippians 2, look at verses 17 and 18. Again, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. We're sharing joy. Paul's in a prison. He's sharing joy with the Philippians who are free. He's letting the Philippians love him in ways that they can, although he's incarcerated. Verse 18, and you too, I urge, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. He said, I need joy. (laughs) Share your joy with me. He was saying, I need an infusion of your joy. Love me. I'll accept and receive your love for me here in this dank, dirty, damp prison. These are the promises that I believe God would have me to make. And I make the point again that I think that these are promises that God is calling every believer to make. So when you get the summation sheet of these promises that will be coming forth, maybe you could keep them in your quiet time journals, or maybe you could keep them posted on your refrigerator doors, or wherever you would put them to remember them to reinforce them, to ratify making that promise to God over and over and over again. And as you are reviewing the promises that will come to you that you choose to make to God, will you pray for me since I have publicly said I will keep these promises? Will you phone me? Will you text me? Will you email me? Will you pop in to see me? Will you... Tell me you're praying for me about promise seven, (laughs) whatever it is. That'll mean a lot to me. And while I'm on that note, it really was something that I felt that we needed to remember the faithful ministry of the Christian Counseling Center this morning as we did. I thought that was very apropos. But I just want to encourage you. What about picking up the phone tomorrow any day this week, any day in April, and just asking to speak to Pastor Frederick or to Sister Helen Arnett and just saying, you know, praying for you today. I really value what you're doing there in the counseling center, bringing God's word to hurting people. I love you. That would be good. And while you're at encouraging the Arnetts, why don't you also pick up the phone and phone someone in the credible body of Christ here and do the same. Just want you to know that I love you and that I'm thinking and praying for you, and this is how I see Christ being formed in you. Just want to let you know that. Have a good day. It was true at Kathy.
who went to be with Christ not too long ago, the founder of Chick-fil-A restaurants, who said, if you have a pulse, you need encouragement. It's true. If you have a pulse, you need encouragement. So may we encourage each other. May we walk worthy of our calling. May we uh, encourage each other to love and good deeds, stimulate each other to love and good deeds as the day of Christ's return is approaching. Let's pray. Lord, we thank and praise you for your love, for your word, for your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that with your calling to your family comes your enablement. I thank you for the royal priesthood of believers that are before me this evening. I pray, Lord, that you bless and encourage them as they seek to make promises and commitments to you, perhaps that they have made before and they're restating, or in other cases they've never, ever made before, never really thought about. But I pray that together we would make and keep promises to you. Because, Lord, you're the perfect promise keeper. Every promise in your word you're going to keep. And all your promises to us are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, help us to be men and women who discipline ourselves for godliness to the end that you would be magnified in our lives, to the end that our lives, Monday to Saturday, require a supernatural explanation. Lord, we ask that we would be good billboards for you, good television commercials for you, good radio spots for you. Because, Lord, you're worthy. And in some cases, for some people who are lost, we, the body of Christ at Nassau on 62 Collins Avenue, we are the only Bible that some people are reading right now. Oh, Lord, may our lives line up with our lips. May our lives line up with our lips. And we pray this to the end that we would have the joy of our Lord, the joy of obedience, the joy of sharing Christ, the joy of coming alongside another life that needs to be led to Jesus, that needs to be led to the Bible, that needs to be led to hope. I thank you for my brothers and sisters, Lord. They're so genuine. Are so precious to you and to me. I pray that they would know how much their love from heaven and how much their love by their pastor. May we never believe Satan's accusations that we are somehow no longer loved. Lord, may we never believe that, but may we choose to believe your word. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for the joy of fellowshipping in song and giving and praying and hearing your word. Please dismiss us now with a purpose. Please dismiss us now with your presence. And we ask these things, that the head of the church would be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.